Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. How's it going? Thank you so much for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it is my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, ideas, and companies shaping the future of agribusiness. If you have not yet listened to last week's episode, which is episode number 58 with Dr. Daniel Foster, go ahead and do so right now. Go ahead. Press pause. Go back and listen to it because it will get you excited about agriculture, about ag education, and also it's the first half of the interview you're about to hear. We decided to make the interview with Dr. Foster a two-part episode uh, because the information was just so dense and rich and interesting and exciting uh, that I thought really it deserved two different episodes. So this is part two of my interview with Dr. Daniel Foster, who is a teacher educator at Penn State University. Uh, go back and listen to episode 58 if you haven't already because you will want to know uh, some of the exciting work that he's doing to train teachers to go out in the field and make a difference in the lives of young people. I have really enjoyed this series we've done on ag education. This is the final installment of that series, so I hope you have enjoyed following along as well. It's been a journey that I've mentioned in previous episodes that's very personal to me. Ag education totally transformed my life. Um, before I got into high school agriculture education, I was very, very limited on my worldview of, of what existed out there, had hardly left the county uh, in the past other than for the occasional hog show, and um, FFA and agriculture education really just changed my life. It, it, it got me seriously thinking about a career in agriculture. It showed me what existed outside of my own perspective, and it introduced me to people and ideas and places that I, I really never knew existed. So I'm eternally grateful to agriculture education as a system, and I, I use the term ag education in the broadest of senses to include everything from what we discussed with Mr. Stephen Ritz, the, uh, the work he's doing in the Bronx, New York with urban agriculture uh, and using it as a, a way to teach and connect people with the community, young people with the community all the way through uh, to what you heard from uh, Seth Heinert uh, about what he's doing in Oglala, Nebraska, to what you're hearing now with Dr. Daniel Foster and training teachers to go out uh, all over the country and to impact the lives of young people through agriculture. It, it isn't just this old idea that we're clinging onto because we love the industry. It truly is a, a way to put context around important concepts uh, that young people need to learn and also to connect them to the people uh, in their community and the people who provide them with their food and to their own health and their own well-being. So I really believe in ag education, and I hope after, as a result of the series, if not before, uh, you are a believer as well. Before we dive right back into our interview with Dr. Foster, I wanted to take a minute to hear from the primary supporter of the Farm and Rural Ag Network, which is BASF. Everyone remembers their favorite ag teacher because teachers make a lasting impact. And ag teachers play a special role in developing our future ag leaders. That's why BASF is proud to be the newest sponsor of the National Teach Ag Campaign and its mission to raise awareness of the need to recruit and retain quality and diverse agriculture teachers. The numbers are staggering. In 2016, there were more than 750 vacant agricultural education teaching positions. 
nearly 100 ag programs were closed due to low enrollment, budgets, lack of teachers, or combination of all three. The future of ag looks dim without qualified ag teachers to meet the demand. And at BASF, we are here to help meet this need. If you or someone you know is interested in a career in ag education, visit NAAE.org for more information on National Teach Ag. Hey, big thank you to BASF for not only being a supporter of the Farm and Rural Ag Network, but also being a supporter of the National Teach Ag campaign as well. So now, without further ado, here it is back to my interview with Dr. Daniel Foster. Your former students told me that you were a huge John Wayne fan. So, I, uh, what what could what can John Wayne teach us about uh, about teaching agriculture? Oh, that was a fun question, Tim. You know, I, I can pull it right off my desk right now. I have this little magnet quote, and the quote says, "Courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway." Hmm. And I think that's the key for all the people listening. That hey. Being a rock star ag teacher, you look up there and you see the folks that probably maybe have changed your life or being involved in ag, you get like, oh, man, they know so much. They do all these things. I could never do that. Or just looking and knowing how broad the scope of agriculture is and how would I know all those things to teach it, that it's okay to be scared but have the courage to saddle up anyway because there's a young person in this world, there's a young person in America that needs you. Nothing breaks my heart. This is a hard time of year for me. I'm out of candidates every day right now, every day. It used to be once a month. I think it's once a week. Now it's every day I get an email or a phone call from a principal saying, man, we just want a good program. We're going to give an extended contract. We have great facilities. Our communities. Do you have anybody who want to come teach at? And I have to say I don't know of anybody. And that means that come fall, Come this August the 15th, 22nd, whenever school starts, there are going to be young people that want to put on the blue and gold jacket to have the experience, Tim, that you and I have that either don't have that option because there's not a program or perhaps they have someone in there just trying to help out and don't understand all the connections. And even worst case scenario, maybe they have a bad experience because they don't have a professional ag educator to be their FFA advisor. And then that program gets shut down, and then hundreds of kids don't have that opportunity. Uh, that just it just breaks my heart. And we have to find a way to, as an industry, recognize the importance of this and find ways that we can support, and invest, uh, and push, and encourage um, the increase of compensation of these high qualified professionals. That this is where you want to be. I would love to have to tell, be able to tell my students. I would love to say, man. You better get an extra internship or you may not get a job. I would love to be able to tell them that. Hmm. But that's not reality. Reality is now in America, if you have a pulse and you complete an ag degree, I guarantee you'll get a job. I had 11 graduates two years ago, and we shared over 500 jobs with those 11 graduates. 500. Most schools, when they post a position, they are thrilled if they have two or three choices. How can we empower schools so we can have that right fit and we can compensate more so they're looking at a, a candidate pool of 20 candidates for every job? Uh, I can dream, can I? 
<laughs> yeah. Well, what can we do? Those of us that are kind of neck deep in, in agribusiness careers. So maybe, you know, dropping everything and teaching isn't going to be a path, but what can we do to support? That's a great question. And I mean, I do believe um, that when we talk to people, it's like, I, I agree, this is an important issue. I want to advance this. I always believe that as individuals, it starts on the local level. And um, taking the time to say, hey, where are the ag programs around me? And asking them, you know, what do you have going on? Where do you need assistance and help? And how can we help? And so being very specific, because I believe in lending context to most conversations, Tim, man, I would be do backflips as an ag teacher if I lived close to you and could have you come and just do a guest speak about what is it like to do a podcast and be involved in ag communications and what should I go do after that? Just like one guest speaker, one guest lecture. Or maybe, you know, depending on time, you look at the ag communications team or the ag issues team and can help coach them because of your experiences, uh, just in what you're doing right now. So all of us have something to offer in that reign where we can say, hey, where do, you, where do you need a little bit of assistance on that? Now, from a bigger level, uh, as we talk about corporate citizenship and as we talk about what we can do as large agribusinesses, I recognize the fact that that blue and gold jacket is the most visible emblem of the agriculture education. And I recognize the fact that we all love giving directly to students whenever we can. But I just need to do something to help individuals realize that if we don't have the engine of that program, that ag teacher, that we won't have those FFA chapters. And so how can we cultivate corporate citizenship and giving to advance either the professional development or scholarship for more people to study in ag education or some way fiscally, straight up, bottom line dollars, invest in the development of world-class agricultural educators. Well, Dr. Foster, I, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. This is, uh, you've got me sitting over here thinking like, boy, maybe I should be in the classroom right now. What am I doing? I, I mean, it, you, you definitely ha have uh, a way of, of describing the problem and the solution uh, that, you know, your leadership is what it's going to take to to continue to make sure that all kids can have the type of experiences you and I had. So thank you very much for being on the podcast. I do appreciate that. Now, we didn't even get to talk about the fun international ag stuff, so we may have to set up another series about how is agriculture education being delivered across the world. We definitely do. We've had we've had Trent McKnight on before from AgriCorps, and I would love to expand on that. E even recently, we had a startup called Kinosol that makes a solar dehydrator product for uh, ag development. So, yeah, I think we need we do need to do a, a series on ag development and have you back on because I'm really interested in the international work you've been doing. I mean, just like last week, I was in Western Guatemala, and people say, well, why Western Guatemala? According to USAID, 600,000 students between the ages of 16 to 24 are out of school in Western Guatemala. They're not engaged. 600,000. And you might recall, close to you in Texas, I don't know, I can't remember when you said you moved there, but in 2014 and 2015, we had a humanitarian crisis of these young children uh, and uh, coming across from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, the border children. Right. Um, yep. and, and, they, and they move because they don't have hope. And education brings us hope. And agriculture is the most authentic context to teach and to provide hope in those communities. And so there's some neat things there. Yeah. So are they building uh, kind of American style agriculture education programs down there? Um, 
I was working with the University of Guatemala Altiplano, which was uh, chosen because of the high indigenous uh, population. I mean, we're talking about a local context that has high rates of poverty, illiteracy, and malnutrition. And um, I think, you know, we have to remember that most of the world, and in Guatemala, free public education is primary education, mainly through the fifth grade. And after that, you have to pay. So uh, the story here is fascinating. I don't mean to take us too long, but um, to give you a quick context, from 1960 to 1996, there was a civil war where uh, the indigenous Maya were targeted and thousands of men and women and, and children were killed. Now, what's really beautiful to me from that negative is that they took this military base in the western highlands of Guatemala and in 1999-2001 changed it and converted it to a branch campus, if you will, of the University of Guatemala, turned it into an educational site. And so when I visit there, education is occurring from what we would consider 6th grade to 8th grade, from high school, a ninth to 12th, then what the, you and I would consider community college, they call it technical, one, two, and three, and then they can graduate with a bachelor's in agroforestry, an engineering degree, hmm. all in one location, which is fascinating as I look from a U.S. challenge, we're always talking about how can we articulate education and make the connections tighter. It's a little bit easier when you're all on one campus um, to be able to show those connections. But uh, that this particular project was to come in and work with them on uh, individualized professional development on improving their instruction. Um, and it was, it was a great experience. And so, of course, one of the recommendations is like, hey, have you ever considered what is the formalized way that we are teaching students to keep records on some of the projects that we see here? How are we harnessing student recognition to recognize these outside outstanding efforts, and how are we developing student uh, leadership capacity? So those were some of the recommendations that we're working through in our report about, uh, because the notion of clubs is very foreign to them. Uh, so how can we make that, that intracurricular piece that's unique to the success, I think, of FFA Ag Education in the United States, how can we bring that piece to it? So. And, and who is who is recognizing the effectiveness of, of U.S.-based ag, ag education and saying, hey, we need this elsewhere? Like, who, who brings you into a project like that? <laughs> That's a great question, Tim, because sometimes people let me in the door and then they don't realize what direction we're going to end up. <laughs> so, uh, the door was cracked, uh, which is because, you know, we're talking about USDA Foreign Ag Service and USDA – is concerned about chemical safety, pesticide safety, uh, with particularly snow peas. Eighty percent of the snow peas consumed in the United States are grown in Guatemala. Hmm. And so we're worried about these loads of snow peas uh, being and green beans being rejected at the border. Now, there's a whole other conversation. I, it's hard for me sometimes to stay on track because the sadness that I feel when I see they're growing all these products to ship to make money, but then their malnutrition occurs at the same time because they won't eat them because it's more money, it's money to make. It's a cash crop. Um, it's fascinating. It's a sociological issue to work through. But so they bring me in and say, this is, this is hilarious. You'll love this. It was a year and a half ago, I think, and they were doing these trainings for producers. Now, so that means they go to the field. They bring in these uh, farmers, small, you know, small um, producers and stakeholders uh, that they have there. And then what's even more fascinating is some of these farmers, you know, they don't speak Spanish. 
they uh, they speak the indigenous language oh, yeah, or yeah. they're not very fluent in Spanish. And so, you know, you're having all kinds of language issues as you work through it. But nonetheless, those farmers come to the training, like we see farmers here in Extension come to trainings. Boy, they have felt need. I don't care how badly you teach it. I need to learn this, and I have a context I'm going to go apply tomorrow uh, to fix this problem, and I want to learn from you. So they're like, oh, this is working okay. <laughs> and then they said, you know what we should do? We should go to Weiwei Tenango, then go to these schools and start earlier. These are agricultural private high schools, and we should teach and deliver this training to the high school students. <laughs> <laughs> they did that once, and that's when the uh, all-help call went out and said, oh, my goodness, this is a disaster. <laughs> what, what can we do? Will you please help us? And so my dean, Tracy Hoover, associate dean here, connected and said, well, we talked to him, and I talked to him. And they said, well, tell me what you're doing. <laughs> and they said, well, we got these great PowerPoints for three days. <laughs> and I said, brother, I don't need to come to Guatemala to tell you that 15 to 18-year-olds will not find success of 24 hours of PowerPoint <laughs> in three days. And so I was brought down and asked to help shift their curriculum to one that would have been student-centered, active learning strategies, actually doing things, uh, stuff that great ag teachers in the States do, and stuff that we've invested in through projects like Life Knowledge through the National FFA, like uh, Engaging Moments with the Mark Reardon and Seth Derner book, those kind of things, uh, to share some of these best practices and say, hey, how can we move students to more of the inquiry phase of questioning and looking and being curious as opposed to just pounding them over the head with death by PowerPoint? And uh, they found success. And so after that, they're like, hey, we want you to do this again. I said, now hold on a second. Why do you want to pay me to patchwork or band-aid your curriculum when if you were to invest in your teachers, they will develop dynamic, contextually specific curriculum in all areas for decades? Let me invest in your teacher professional development as opposed to investing in band-aiding curriculum. And so um, th this was the first time I've actually talked them into that. There's some, uh, <laughs> and so I think they're going to be really happy. We went down there, we did 22 classroom observations, we did one-on-one um, -on -one interviews, we conducted one group workshop, and then each teacher is developing an individualized professional development plan because each teacher is different about what they want to work on and what they need to work on. And so they got to optionally opt in and say, I want to do this. Um, and then we're going to be virtual electronic mentors from now through December. They have 20-week semesters from July to December, and we're going to find resources for them and let them vent to us their problems and give them solutions and ideas, and then go back and check in it next February. How cool but is that? I think it's going to be cool. I, uh, the teachers were very happy. It's fun for me when we don't try to treat teachers like one size fits all. You know, we actually try to say, okay, well, what do you want to work on? And let them have that voice as a professional and identifying a professional growth area and then deliver them. I, I get frustrated. It seems like a lot of this type of work people want to do like, well, just come do three workshops. And I'm like, yeah, but they don't all want those three workshops, you know, because everybody's right. different. So, um, yeah, it, 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 we'll see how it all works out. But, uh, to get them, I was really happy with the USDA FAS for taking the chance on us now. I hope that we can have continued conversations to continue to work like this. I, I, it's funny, I just run into obstacles like, you know, the U.S. government can't invest in the travel of a, a foreign national because there's nothing I like better would be to identify like a cohort or a group of a fellow of awesome rock star teachers there and bring them up there and induct them like for a month here and, and then have them shadow our U.S. teachers and pick up and go back and support. 
Mm-hmm. Um, see, this is a perfect example. Like if I'm dreaming, I would find uh, a great corporate citizen, a partner, to come and say, you know what, that's a good idea, and our federal government might be able to do it. But let's just let's just do it because it's worth doing, and we're going to help these teachers. Um, I also know that as I identify great teachers and programs and start trying to put my hands around it, for example, in Belize, there's seven high schools that teach agriculture. I know that the innovative nature of our great U.S. school-based ag teachers is that if I could pair each one of those programs with someone who wanted to here in the States, an ag teacher, and just say, why don't you all just start being digital pen pals and emailing each other? Now, first, all of a sudden, for that school in Nebraska, we've made learning Spanish contextually relevant. Because we're emailing back and forth using Google Translate, trying to figure out how can we communicate and talking about, as students of the same age, learning some of the same things. We're expanding the global mindset of our U.S. students so they start viewing our agricultural systems in a global lens. And more importantly for me, we're going to grow, as we talk about global competency, their multicultural competency. We're going to grow their capacity to have empathy for people not like themselves. And just maybe the next time they're sitting in a class of a young person who is, you know, English is a second language, maybe instead of judging, maybe like, yeah, learning a second language is hard. Because what I know about the innovative natures of U.S. ag teachers, if I get them started and just get out of the way and just kind of help and connect them and they're talking, you and I both know they're going to find a way to do some kind of purposeful immersion experience or exchange. They're going to yeah. go down there and see them, or they're going to host them back here. They'll find a way because that's what I see from our great innovative teachers. So that's kind of that's why we pull together work here in a little initiative called Global Teach Ag of how can we help U.S. school-based ag educators do a better job or have – I don't say better job – connect to resources um, to deliver global learning and global agriculture into their classrooms. I love it. Uh, and in fact, I, I'm going to make this into a two part episode. Now we're going to do uh, we do the first half domestic and the second half international. Is there anywhere uh, in addition to Guatemala that you're focused on right now? Well, Guatemala is where we're working currently. We have some great partners in Belize. And I think um, from that point forward, you know, there's what I get frustrated with, Tim, is that like so two years ago, I hauled a group of teachers to Korea and uh, we stayed a month there. And, you know, what really gets exciting, I mean, this is just fun. I, I love creating what I call transformative learning experiences that just kind of shrock you around. You'll tell you how awesome it is when I brought these students. So I brought a group, and half of them were teacher candidates, and half of them were active ag teachers. I hauled them to Seoul, Korea. I put them in a room with ag ed majors from Seoul National University, and I split them up into groups of three. It was triads. One U.S. ag teacher, one Penn State student teacher, and then one SNU student and teacher and I said guess what gang in two days you're going to teach a class on sustainable agriculture to Suwon High School where they do teach ag (laughs) and they're just like what (laughs) (laughs) and they had to work together so you get past this kind of oh who's in your family what's your favorite food a superficial conversations they had a task Mm -hmm. they had a task and they felt need and some stress and they worked and we chose Korea because they can teach in English. Uh, they say that English is the language instruction. Uh, the students, as I watched the high school students engage, they, they got most of it, but they weren't as comfortable talking. Um, but my kids were the only ones that didn't speak Korean. And I just know, I know that that experience changed how they will view English as a second language students for the rest of their career for the next 30 years. 
because they understand the frustration of, oh my gosh, I wish they'd talk slower. Or, oh my gosh, could they use pictures? Maybe I could figure this out. <laughs> um, and, and we're growing empathy for diverse classrooms by using the context of global, which can be sexy and exciting, to grow their capacity. So we did that in Korea. Uh, and I was, people were always, why are you going to Korea? What are you going to teach them? I said, brother, we're not going to teach them. We're going to go learn from them. There's so much we can learn. Higher education and agriculture, I would challenge them to look at some of the efforts being done in Zamorano and Honduras or at Earth in Costa Rica on how they're trying to bring the practical hands-on experience to advance the learning. As I am very proud of the institution I work at, but I have to struggle sometimes because of the how do I phrase this? Because of the economic models to be successful in U.S. higher education, that usually doesn't involve extensive laboratories or hands-on experiences that require supplies. Hmm. They're more common to use these large lecture format classes and tell us how we should be doing something in the field as opposed to taking us to the field. And so, you know, we can learn about how do you connect theory to practical hands-on. Uh, I mean, I, I love it when I hear stories of, uh, students being required, okay, you've learned this, now show me how you can apply it. And before you can graduate with a degree, you need to show us that you can grow this crop or you can do this function of this degree. And it seems like we've really gotten away from that in a lot of higher education uh, and agriculture education across the nation. There's exceptions, and there's exception classes, and it's not just a one institution or another, but it, it doesn't seem to be, it seems to be the exception instead of the rule of thumb. Couple more questions, then I'm, I'm going to let you go here. But I do want to know for somebody like myself, and let's say there's there's someone listening who uh, they've been in agribusiness for five years, they got an, uh, a an ag econ degree, and they're thinking, you know what, teaching actually does sound like something I'm called to do now. Is there hope for them to to pivot into teaching, or would that require going back to school? You know, there is hope. Uh, what I need to, and this you've identified where I think is an area of growth and improvement. A challenge and why we had a teacher shortage issue, Tim, is also to the certification situation in the United States of America, which is every state determines their own rules. And most of us, you know, we like the notion of local control. We like that. But that makes it very difficult to give advice or to have mobility of candidates across the um, state to state. And so every state is very unique. But most states have an alternative certification pathway. And so if someone called me, and by the way, I would love to help anybody in anybody's state because I guarantee I could connect them with someone. And my email is foster, F-O-S-T-E-R, at PSU.edu. So if anybody would like to explore becoming an ag educator, if they would email me, I will find an advocate for you in your state to help navigate this, to see what it would be like. And the great states, I'll give you an example of a state that does this well, is Minnesota. So you come in there and you come alternatively certified. We're saying, look, um, you're going to have to pass this test. And then we're going to right away put you into an induction program. They have it. It's the teacher induction program tip from the University of Minnesota. The Golden Gophers do a great job with this. And we're going to be there by, you know, stand, help you mentor, uh, do workshops, be with you as you kind of figure it out for the first year or two until you're ready to stand on your own completely. Um, they have a very comprehensive program. So it, there is a possibility. I will tell, I don't like using rose-colored glasses, Um the best thing they can do is immediately engage with the Professional Ag Teacher Association and the local teacher education say, hey, I want to do a good job of this. I know it's tough. How can you help me? And it's our job 
as those who are involved in teacher education across the nation, is to find a way in a non-stigmatized way to not only produce candidates coming out through the traditional route, but also to serve those alternative populations. And they're two different populations of two different needs, and technology is making it easier for us to do that, but it's definitely a challenge that we have to continue to work on. Hmm. As you share this, Tim, I do enjoy engaging professionally on Twitter, and so I appreciate you including my Twitter handle when appropriate. <laughs> yeah, what is that Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is at Foster Daniel D. And so Foster Daniel D. I love sharing as I'm in classrooms and in different countries and across the nation about ag education and engaging on that platform, trying to tell the story to new people, just like you're doing with your podcast. Because our biggest challenge is every day, every dang day, I'll run into somebody that says, really? They teach agriculture in high school, huh? Oh, wow. <laughs> and so it's just developing awareness. <laughs> well, Dr. Foster, thank you for being so generous with your time. I can't believe we're going to be able to make two episodes out of this. So much valuable uh, content. And hopefully we, we, we get just maybe one more ag teacher out of, out of listening to this podcast. Then Wouldn't we'll be that be exciting? Well, would be. Uh, make sure there's no doubt that it is a great profession that's rewarding in so many ways. And there hasn't been a day gone by. So I you know, started there at Wilcox and taught. And then I went to Ohio State for my graduate degree. And this is my first faculty position at Penn State. And I've been in this position for seven years. But there's not a day that's gone by in the last 10 years. I just realized this the other day. It's been 10 years since I was in a high school classroom every day that I have not said, man, I miss that. That was so much fun. Hmm. And life is too short not to have fun. Great way to end. Dr. Foster, thank you so much. Adios, amigo. Thank you to Dr. Daniel Foster for being on the show and sharing his wisdom, his insights, and his passion for ag education. I know it certainly got me excited about the opportunities that exist. And hopefully, if you're listening and have ever considered a career in ag education, you now know how to get connected uh, into that field. So thank you, Dr. Foster. I can think of no better way to round out our series on ag education than a two-part interview with him. So really, really happy with the way that went. Uh, I I like these series. In fact, I've had some other ideas for series in the future, uh, certainly kicking around one um, around cooperative extension and some of the new ideas related to agriculture that are coming out of cooperative extension. And also another one on ag investment. So different ways that people are looking at agriculture from an investment standpoint. So stay tuned for those series coming later, probably this year. I'm getting ready to head out on the road, uh, actually going to California, spending a little bit of time in Silicon Valley and hopefully making some context that will lead to great ag tech style interviews in the very near future on this show. So stay tuned for those as well. It's that time of year. We're all traveling and on the road. So as you are traveling and your coworkers and friends are traveling, everyone's going to probably listen to a little bit more podcasts. At least I do when I'm on the road. So if you know anyone who might enjoy the future of agriculture and you don't think they are already listening to it, help them find our show and spread the word so that they too can listen in. Hey, I'm looking forward to be back next week. Thank you so much for downloading the Future of Agriculture podcast. Have a good week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit aggrad.com, that's A-G, 
GRAD.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.